2: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about gruesome games and wicked wreckage. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly-lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Elizabeth Davis and Icy Dice are voice talents Jesse Cornett and Nick Goroff. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark our first tale tonight comes to us from author elizabeth davis and is performed by chilling tales for dark knight's voice talent jesse cornett in it we will bear witness to one of those game and ritual stories based on a dream. Those who want to play must know all they are willing to give up. Join us, won't you? Without further ado, I present to you, The Darklands Game.
3: There are numerous games that circulate the internet. Most are written for fun. A rare few are written based on real experiences of those who found the worn corners of reality. Some are trying to quantify it into a recipe as a way to process their experience. Some do it as a way to prove to others that what happened was real. Some malicious few do it out of self-pitying schadenfreude. I'll let you decide the motives behind this game the first step happens when you dream you will dream of your current or former college campus if you've never been to school then a college campus nearby you will know which one in the dream there will be a party around you a wild party that can only happen when you are young and reckless but you will not join in, merely drift around the edges. As you take in the sights, you will find a narrow hallway. There will be signs outside each door. Perhaps it will be movie titles, like an impromptu movie screening for the party or just subjects that the classroom is used for. This is not important. What's important is that one of the doors will bear the title darklands you probably won't go in at this point no reason to go into this unknown room while there is still so much to take in if you do go in here i don't know what will happen to you maybe nothing dream nonsense because you are all by yourself maybe You will hear an announcement from the radio, from the DJ, or perhaps in other ways, whispered from party-goer to party-goer. Text messages written on the bathroom wall. Yellowed flyers on the bulletins. The content will remain the same. The first session in the Darklands is free if you bring a friend. You will wake up with a nagging feeling that will last for the whole day before fading, just as you have forgotten that you ever dreamed this particular dream. It will come again. Details will change, the attendance shifting as your past and present mingle, the campus of the school twisting into different endless hallways as the party sprawls out. It will be the same school. The dream will end as you stand in front of a door, separated from the party, down one of the endless hallways. It will be the same door. You will wake up before you open the door. Now, you have a choice could do nothing and wait for the dream to fade ignoring the nights in front of that door until you no longer feel the call when you awake or you could find a friend. Your friend either needs to be an anchor or a seeker. If neither of you is a seeker you will never find the door, if neither of you is an anchor you will never return what makes a seeker or an anchor is different for each pair it's a question that only you two can answer so answer wisely take nothing with you besides your clothes empty your pockets take your key card and keys if need be but you must leave them outside once you find the door you will need to go to the college campus of your dreams. No other will work for you, even if all in their own way lead to the dark lands. You may wish to indulge in chemical lubrication to help with this next step, but I must warn you against this. If you are too sloppy, you will likely find yourself on the wrong end of security or never making it to your goal. Once you enter the campus, ignore any dorms and make your way to the biggest building. You may have to arrive early to avoid the doors being locked. Wait until nightfall after the last class empties. After that point, you and your friends will go down to the lowest floor. There. You will search, circling the hallways until all you can think about is the stained tiles. The flickering fluorescent lights as your world narrows down to just these echoing steps. Then you will find the door. It will be the same as in your dreams once you cross the threshold you can't turn back don't look back for you will not see the hallway you have left instead you will see the radiant gap between our world and the dark lands seeing that pure light your nerve may snap and you may try to run to the door you will never reach the door, instead falling forever between. Turn away from the light and face the darkness. You will see nothing at first, with you and your friend slowly extending your hands out, feeling around you. You will feel the dark cool of moist rocks, the dripping of what feels like water echoing through the air. It is not water. Do not drink it. If you drink it, you will be forever bound down here in this dripping darkness. Ignore your parched throat from waiting and pumping adrenaline. If you continue to face the darkness, your eyes will eventually adjust. Pinpricks of light will guide you through as your hands scrape against the rocky walls, navigating the edges of stalagmites that will draw blood if you aren't careful. After jostling against your friend, shoulders slamming into each other as you are squeezed and pinched by rocks, you will finally find relief as the passage widens out into a large chamber. The pinpricks of light will give dim illumination as you reach out trying to feel your way around. Eventually, you will look at them and realize that they form shapes. A vase pouring out water, twin fish, a silhouette of a ram, the glaring head of a bull. Two crude people mirroring each other, a crab, a lion, a woman with hair as long as her dress, a set of scales measuring nothing, a scorpion, a drawn bow and arrow, and a goat head. Maybe the seeker will explain the significance. Maybe they will not. It does not matter. If you choose to walk towards them, reach out your hand and touch those small lights, you will leave. You will never return, never dream of the dark lands again. You may be happy with what you find on the other side. You may be disappointed or filled with despair. You may find home you may never be allowed to return home again but at least you will be spared what is up ahead if you can ever be satisfied with being spared ignore the wall and look to the floor you will find faint lights there dimmer than the ones on the wall the image should be of a man grappling with a snake if it isn't then i have no more advice for you stand carefully on the edge around the man's snake and press your hands down let your blood drip the floor will fall open and you will feel your hands grabbed pulling you down you may struggle pushing away but the slippery floor will never support you. You will slip, fall, and be dragged down. The grip will feel warm, unbearably warm, like hands that belong to a man who had been wrestling for ages. Your tumble down will be stopped by your friend as you both pin each other in place. The walls here are warm And you can feel them constrict and release around you. Their enormous ribs framing your world. The darkness here is absolute. So you need not bother with your eyes. If you panic here. If you struggle. If you scream. You will never leave. You will remain forever stuck, or you will gain the attention of Nira. Then you will find your warm flesh bathed in acid, and your bones will join the rest that is stuck in the gullet. Take a deep breath. Take it again. Quiet your friend if you must. Lead them in your breaths. You will have to work together to carefully squirm and writhe in unison to allow yourselves to slip down during the release, to shelter between the bones of the unlucky during the constriction so you will not be impaled. For even those soft bones can burrow deep. Do not worry about time. That is not important here. It will feel like hours, days, eternity. Keep your calm and slide down. Eventually, the last constriction will push you through and you will fall. Your landing will be hard and painful, but you still must go on. There is still no light. The bones will crack under your feet. Now you will hear voices. They will promise you answers to questions you have always had. Partial answers that beg for you to stop, to drop down in despair, to turn to them in wonder. Promising you all if you turn and leave the path. Smoke will choke your lungs, leaving you in coughing fits, leaving your head swimming. In this darkness and smoke, you will see things vibrant and almost real. I don't know what you will see, but I know that they are not real. They are only what might be, or might have been, or at least not any more real than the darkness crunching bones do not stop moving even as your coughing shakes you even as your words spill from your lips from what you see it would be best if you moved forward as much as you can understand forward in this darkness do not stray from this forward or you will be lost in this darkness seeing visions and crying out to those who walk along the path seers who go unheeded that is the fate of those lost in Delphi's cave eventually the darkness will wane as the smoke drifts away your path will grow clear of bones and you will step out into a city you will see in the light The blue light that seeps from the ground, from the sky, from everywhere, bathing everything. The light will sting. Now you can rest. Wait for your eyes to adjust. Just be careful of the snakes. For they are coiled on every surface. Their venom is deadly and they are quick to strike. Their bodies are the only color you will see in the city beyond the black walls. Move slowly. Let them slither away from you. The rainbow shredding into black. As your eyes adjust to the light, you will see the city in black walls ruined and absent of all life beyond the snakes. You will probably run your hand on the polished stone, feeling the carvings. You may even be able to make out individual carvings that represent lions or people, but their greater meaning is lost on you. You will not understand the words carved into the stone, made out of angular lines, before an alphabet. You and your friend are likely to be silent. One of the two may try to speak, but your words will drift away, falling away into the silence. As your eyes look up, you will survey the city's wide streets and think of the skyscrapers dwarfed by these walls. You will wander, it does not matter which way. All roads lead to the center, All snakes slither to the center, gliding along with the tiles as you enter the plaza, a courtyard in which two thrones look down. The snakes will not enter, their tongues flickering out in your wake, remembering your scent as you walk away. Two figures will sit on the twin thrones, wizened, dwarfed by their thrones. You may feel strong for a moment, tempted to rush them until you realize that even the dwarfs of this city are far taller than you and your friend. Their skin is the same shade of the city stone from what little you can see from their draped clothes and the blue light that falls away from them. You will not see their faces hidden away from your eyes. You will never see them. They have been forgotten. Now, reach into your pockets. If they are empty, you will find a dagger, and if you didn't empty them, you will find what you brought. How the queen and king of Durr will judge you then, I do not know. You will feel the stone handle, the sharp blade, You will feel the engraving of a snake and a man combined into a single being throughout the dagger. You will pull out the dagger, feeling it grow and lengthen. Your friend will be too busy looking at the king and queen. The friend that followed you down, that you escaped from the gullet with, that led you away from the voices, that scared the snakes away while you rested, the friend... Followed you when no one else believed or that they loved you enough to ignore their disbelief. You must not hesitate. You will be judged poorly if you do. You will walk up to them silently, unnoticed, and bury the knife into their back. You may have to withdraw it out and in again, spilling their blood on those dark stones The red turns dark in the blue light as they shudder and fall over. Do not stop until you hear the last rattle, the last intake of labored breaths. Dip your hands into the blood, kneel on the stone as you lift your hands. What passes now is different for everyone. How you are judged weighed on inscrutable scales regardless of the answers to your question you must now pick up your friend and carry them out regardless of what you are given walk between the thrones walk past the dark city into the blue light you will leave the dark lands and find yourself back in that school hallway your hands will be clean and your friend will be standing nearby They will look like nothing happened, that they were never dead in a titan city, but you will look in their eyes. If they are an anchor, their eyes will be lifeless dull and they will never laugh, smile, frown or cry again. Your wrists will feel heavy and scars will form in time in the shape of grey metal chains if they are the seeker their eyes will not recognize you looking beyond you they will laugh smile cry and frown but never at what is around them forever roaming inside themselves you will feel lighter like a puppet whose string is being pulled the scars will form on your back making the shape Of white wings. Next time, you will not need a friend, gaining what you lacked from them. Next time, you must pay the price of a second session. Are you willing to see what is beyond? Are you willing to go back deeper into the dark lands?
2: I hope you enjoyed The Dark Lands Game, as written by Elizabeth Davis and performed by the incomparable Chilling Tales for Dark Knight voice talent, Jesse Cornett. To find more of author Elizabeth Davis, visit simplyscarypodcast.com Davis, spelled D-A-V-I-S, and you'll be redirected to her author profile on creepypastastories.com. And if you do check her out, be sure to visit Elizabeth's Amazon page, where you can find a copy of her collaborative anthology, No Safe Distance, Stories from Quarantine Today. And if you enjoyed Mr. Cornette's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, as well as the No Sleep Podcast, where you can hear his vocal performances as well as production. Our second tale tonight comes to us from author... Icy Dice, and is performed by voice talent, Nick Goroff. In it, we will bear witness to a father and his family involved in a deadly car crash. Following the accident, the man keeps note of the strange events which transpire. Without further ado, I present to you, Car Crash. 8.40 on a Saturday
4: evening. They um, say there are some moments in our life that we'll remember for an eternity. Events that we find are branded into our minds, whether we like it or not. We say that we recall these moments down to the minutest detail, and I can attest to that theory quite well. The clear water droplets plummeted from above, splashing onto the windshield. The cars traveled alongside the vehicle, their headlights illuminating the rain, and the night sky contained thousands of dazzling stars above. Inhale. And my chest rose, my lungs taking in crisp air from the slightly open window beside me. I turned my head, My eyes meeting with hers, and then falling about her gorgeous teeth and her rose lips. Exhale. My gaze fixated on my rearview mirror, observing my young boy strapped firmly in the back seat, fast asleep. Inhale. My eyes grew wide as the high beam flooded my vision. In an instant, I launched my foot toward the brake, clenching my teeth, hard jaw locked firmly shut. The sound of metal colliding terrorized my ears, and my car's momentum carried us forward. Glass shattered as the vehicle came to a violent halt, causing my body to jerk forward and my face to plant directly into the steering wheel. Two shrieks, one from beside me and one from behind erupted into the night. They died down as soon as they began, suddenly there was no sound at all. My body was rendered immobile, and my eyesight faded away, yet my lips still functioned. They gently parted, but all I could squeak out was a measly no before the darkness overwhelmed me. From that point on, I vaguely recall the noisy sound of bustling people in a white corridor. Beaming lights shone overhead, beckoning for me. I tried reaching out towards it and I could not move my arms. My eyes fluttered and I once more drifted away into sleep. I would stay in the hospital for several weeks, recovering from various fractures and undergoing multiple surgeries. My body ached, yet my physical pain could not compare to my worries about my family. Although I felt a relief like no other wash over me when the staff informed me that my son had survived, a familiar sense of dread later overtook me as I learned my wife was in critical condition. Those nights took an eternity to pass. I consistently glanced towards the clock on the wall, observing the hands tick by minute by minute. Tears would claw their way from my eyes at strange hours of the day, drenching my cheeks in moisture until my cheeks burned red and the sweat forming in my palms dampened the bedsheets I clenched. Each time one of the staff or doctors came into my room, my vision darted towards them. I knew they could read my mind. They would give me this pitiful look when they looked into my pleading eyes. Every time I asked, they would give me the same non-answer. I assure you, Mr. Johnson, we are doing our best to treat your wife. Every day I met with some variation of this response. Yet I persisted, determined to hear that my wife would be okay. Until one day, one of the staff entered my room. Shakily standing up to greet him, I grinned and extended my arm towards his. That's when I noticed the sullen look plastered on his face, and my heart descended below my chest. He spoke calmly, methodically, each word exiting his lips in slow motion. My knees quivered, lightly at first and then more rapidly as he continued. As they eventually buckled, I collapsed to the floor, my chest furiously heaving, each breath I took growing more exasperated than the last. Several people restrained me and placed me back onto my bed. I think they were trying to give me words of encouragement and sympathy in the process, but whatever they said blended into an incoherent mess. The men and women beside me blurred into unrecognizable forms, and I stared straight ahead. A abhorrently foul stench of perspiration dripping from every orifice of my body dug into my nose and pricked my eyes. My mind, blank as a paper, grew weary, and I finally gave in to the staff of attempting to keep me still. The nurses helped clean me up shortly following that outburst. After receiving fresh clothing and being given time and space to come to terms with the news, my nurse escorted me to the lobby. There nurse stood, waiting for me. I rushed towards him as quickly as possible. Stooping down, I embraced him, resting my chin on his scalp and gently patting his back. He buried his head into my chest. My shirt moistened, and I held him even closer. He knew. Before we left the hospital, I received a few recommendations for psychiatrists and therapists in my area. After thanking the staff for all their help, my son and I took the bus back to our neighborhood later that night. I'd, uh, baked chicken with rice that night, but he just sat there, poking his food with his fork. Sighing, I finished my plate, hoping it would inspire him to do the same. Instead, he pushed his dish away from him, in front of where an empty chair stood before the table. I knew he wouldn't budge, but I knew the hospital had been keeping him healthy and nourished. I told him he should go to bed and get some rest, and he obliged, hopping up from his seat and making his way to his room. After he crawled in bed, I tucked him in and asked if he'd like me to sleep in his room for the night. He nodded his head, rejecting my offer. I bent down, kissed his forehead, wishing him a good night. I opened my laptop and researched the therapy center cited in the pamphlet I received earlier. I grimaced when I read the costs for each one. My wife made money along with me for our family. That, combined with the opportunity, cost forfeited by my hospital stay, took immediate therapy out of the question. So I closed the computer and trot over to my bedroom. Placing my palm against the wooden door, I traced my fingers along its perimeter until they met the cold brass knob. Counting down from five, I forced myself to open the door upon reaching zero. I set foot into the room, flicking the light switch upward. As the bulb cast its light onto a dull gray wall surrounding me, I mustered the courage to set one foot in front of the other. Make my way over to the oak frame of my queen-sized bed, I looked down on the blankets before me. The bed felt so different. It felt empty. Beside the bed sat a beige dresser with a picture frame placed atop it. There stood a man and his soulmate, their faces beaming with glee. Feeling tears trickling down my cheeks, I glanced back toward the bed, realizing I was dampening the sheets while I wept. Breathing in deeply, I turned and exited the room with haste. Retreating to the living room, I positioned myself on the couch, and after a few hours of tossing and turning, my body finally shut down and let me rest. I didn't recognize where I was. All I knew was that pure light surrounded me, overloading my senses. My mouth opened, yet I didn't make a sound. I extended my arm, groping ahead of me for whatever surface I could find. My fingers were met with a wheel. The sound of an engine roared from somewhere within the light. Tires swerved and voices shrieked. Bang! Metal tearing into metal, incoherent, shrill cries produced from the back of the car. Was this truly happening again? My head jerked forward with the momentum of the vehicle. The commotion ceased as suddenly as it arrived, leaving me in a state of disarray. The cold night air seeped through the shattered window, erecting the hairs on my arms. Everything was still, it was a dream, I knew it was a dream, so why could I so vividly sense the beads of sweat trickling down my arms and pooling around my knuckles? How is it that a figment of my subconscious mind was able to perfectly replicate the texture of the leather-coated steering wheel which I so desperately clung to? Internally, I knew what would greet me if I were to shift my gaze to the right. And then I felt it. The round object slumped against my shoulder. The messy strands of hair against my arm. The warm, liquid droplets falling and splashing against my hand. I couldn't even form a coherent thought before my attention shifted to the sudden weight pressed against my left shoulder. Five slender fingers held me in their grip. My head spun around in the opposite direction to observe who was touching me. Upon doing so, my gaze was met with an arm reaching through the shattered window. I tilted my head up, and before me stood a man. He stood tall, adorned with black jeans and a gray dress suit. His frame was much too small for his clothes, however. He appeared fragile. The skin of his arms seemed to loosely stretch over the bone underneath. It was as if he would disintegrate if even the slightest force were applied to him. Despite the situation around me and my body eased into the seat, I felt the sensation of relief wash over me. He carried an unexplainable aura of familiarity about him. Even despite his malnourished frame, even despite his lanky stature, even despite his face appearing to have been blurred out of existence entirely, I did not fear him. It almost depressed me that That my encounter with him was brief as I awoke as soon as my eyes scanned what should have been his face. It all happened so fast. I placed my hand on my left shoulder, running my fingertips along its surface. The imprint that would have been left by the man was not there. Of course it wasn't. It was just a nightmare after all. I can't say for certain I understand what I dreamt of that night. It all felt so real. I didn't recognize the man I encountered earlier, so how could I possibly have felt such an intrinsic connection between him and I? Although I'm not sure what to make of it, I can't help but get the sneaking suspicion that there's more to this than I'm currently comprehending. After all, but dreams dream is said to be a gateway into the subconscious. Whatever the case may be, I'll be sure to keep you guys updated. Thank you for reading all I've had to say up to this point. An update. I felt a soft tugging on my beige shirt. The small hand of my boy gripped the polyester tightly. I placed my hand on his head, gently massaging his scalp and pulling him closer to me. The funeral service had occurred just hours prior. Our family wasn't particularly social. We had a few friends and family stop by and offer their condolences to me. It was nice, but if I'm honest, it didn't make me feel better in the slightest. Excuse me for feeling this way, but I wasn't exactly receptive to socializing at my wife's funeral. I only went out of necessity, as well as in pursuit of some form of closure. That closure never did arrive. After it was all said and done, the other attendees left, and it was just my son and I standing before a casket, all alone. I stepped forward, placing my hand on the wooden box. The casket sat on a platform. Roses and candles were placed near it on a table. It was a lovely setup, and it didn't feel complete. I knew her body wasn't inside. Her mangled corpse could not be presented for an open casket funeral, so we planned on having her cremated and having her remains buried. I turned, preparing to leave, but before I could, something peculiar caught my attention. Thump. I spun around, eyeing the casket. Had I been hearing things? No. The only ones in the room were my son and I. I turned back to exit the room, only to find my boy had disappeared. Where had he gone? He couldn't have left the room. I hadn't heard any footsteps. Before I could call his name, I heard it again. Dump. I most definitely had not been imagining things. Sean, where are you, buddy? I called out, and now aware of the anxiety bubbling within me. I heard no answer. Rather, the only thing I heard was a faint laugh coming from behind me near the casket. I recognized that laugh. My breath got caught in my throat and I spun around facing the source of the noise. There she stood, her angelic presence seemingly illuminating the room. What the fuck? I uttered, staring ahead in disbelief. It was impossible. I have to be hallucinating, I muttered. Had I gone mad? I had been so wrapped up in my thoughts that I hadn't immediately noticed myself moving towards her. I extended my arms, resting them on her shoulders. Her red freckles adorned her face, having just enough opacity to be noticeable. She smiled, revealing her pearly white palette whereupon her dimples appeared. It was her. She was standing before me, in the flesh. I wanted so desperately to speak, but I could only choke on my own words. She delicately placed her hand on me, the cold, smooth surface of her ring grazing my cheek. Lowering my arms to her waist, I held her against me. When gazing into her eyes, the rest of the world simply ceased to be. All that existed was her and I at that place, at that time. Gently we swayed back and forth like the leaves of a tree on a gusty autumn day, rocking forward and backward. We held each other in our arms. Her skin was warm. I became entrapped in her aura. My muscles relaxed, and soon enough I was no longer conscious of her movements. My body went on autopilot as we danced to the beat of our hearts, conjoined as one. I was in heaven, for my love was alive again. I closed my eyes, smiling in contentment. I heard a wet splash, at the same time liquid pooled onto my hand. Its warmth juxtaposed the sudden, cold surface I felt pressed against me. My eyes sprung open, the once lively eyes of Elizabeth were now sunken and dull. Her appearance was now ghoulish, and her skin appeared to stick closely to her bones. Looking down at my hands, I saw that they had been covered with blood. A large laceration covered the surface of her stomach, and the stench of charred flesh infiltrated my nostrils. I shoved her away from me and collapsed to the floor. I only had a split second to process what had happened before thick chunks of vomit erupted from my throat. I wish I had not met her gaze again. Her sweet smile transformed into a sickening grin. She dragged herself toward me, leaving a streak of blood and pus in her path. I attempted to get up and stumble away from her, but to no avail. I felt nauseous and struggled to do anything besides clumsily shuffling away. I grimaced in pain as I felt her latch onto my arm, digging her yellowish, rotten nails into my skin. She used her momentum to lunge at me, shoving me to the ground and landing on top of me. I screamed and I fought and I clawed at her, desperate for her to get off of me. Somehow, even though her body appeared rotten and broken, she overpowered me, scraping and clawing at my flesh. Then... I felt a tug on my beige shirt. A tiny hand gripped the polyester fabric. I picked myself up from the floor and looked down at my son. He looked back up at me, a look of concern and fear on his face. The puddle of vomit and tears occupied the floor beside where I had collapsed. Did I imagine everything? No. I quickly realized that wasn't the most important question at the time. Had my boy witnessed what had just happened? How could I have allowed myself to appear so weak in front of him? The boy is meant to see his father as a superhero, a strong man who can persevere through anything. Not only had that persona collapsed in the hospital, but it collapsed here as well. And what would he think of me? Regret and dismay ran through my veins at that moment, but those feelings were interrupted as Sean embraced me with as much strength as his little arms could muster. I froze, and then gently reciprocated his embrace. He would seen me collapse, seen me cry, seen me at my most vulnerable. Yet when I looked upon my son, comforting me when I needed it most, I didn't see a child who felt disappointed in his father. All I saw was an act of compassion. Not wanting to weep more than I already had, I let go of Sean and stooped upright. He was only a child who had already suffered the loss of his mother. At such a young age, I doubted he had much understanding of the concept of death at all. But I knew for certain he missed Elizabeth, and so I knew I had to be there for him. I promised then and there that I would be strong for Sean. We arrived home that evening. I treated Sean to the best pot roast I could make and was ecstatic to see he finally regained his appetite. I tucked him into bed soon after. I brought a chair by his bed, pulling his sheets and covers over him. The lamp by his bedside shone brightly. You doing okay, little guy? I inquired. He didn't respond, of course. He hadn't uttered as much as a word since the incident. I didn't understand why, but I didn't want to press him on it either. I would get him some help as soon as I could. I grabbed his stuffed teddy bear from a nearby shelf and waved it in front of him. Do you remember how he got this? Now we went to the fair last year, and you played the baseball game and won Teddy. I had hoped bringing up this memory would elicit a response from Sean, but he simply smiled and continued to look at me. Sighing, I returned his smile and patted his head. When Mommy and I got married, we knew we wanted a baby. Every night, we would pray to the angels that a baby boy would come and... One day, you came to us. It was the happiest day of our lives, Sean. And from that point onward, you made us the happiest parents around. Mom, won't be around for a long time, but I promise that she's watching you, with the angels. She's smiling, Sean. She's so, so proud of her beautiful baby boy. And so am I. We will always love you. Again, Sean's lips never parted once. Yet I knew that he understood. He had to have understood. I just know it. I just wanted to hear his voice again. Good night, Sean, I said, getting up to leave his room. Before I could, he reached out and grabbed my arm. Oh, right. Sorry, buddy, I said, leaning over and kissing his forehead. He nodded his head in satisfaction and laid down. I turned off his lamp and closed his bedroom door. Making my way to the bathroom, I went inside and stared into the mirror. I had kept my promise to myself to stay strong for Sean, at least for tonight. I gripped the sink tightly, leaning over and peering into my reflection. What the hell had happened earlier? could have been related to the dream I had the other night. Why was I experiencing these disturbing visions? I had never really had to deal with mental trauma in the past, so I was unfamiliar with how to process this information. If people knew about the experiences I was having, would they think I was crazy? For the first time in my life, I felt small and out of control. I balled my hand into a fist pounding it into the wall. That night was a sleepless one. All I could do was look up at the ceiling. Empty thoughts occupied my mind. I couldn't make sense of what I had experienced, so I merely dismissed them as nightmares. I'll keep you guys updated on any future developments. I think I need an outlet to get my thoughts out. I don't want to vent on my son, so I'll type my thoughts here. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it. Another update. I found it hard to eat recently. Besides the pork roast I had with Sean, I haven't had much of an appetite for anything. I've lost quite a bit of weight, evident by my rapidly thinning frame. I haven't been sleeping well either. Despite this, I've been giving my best efforts to stay strong. I truly believe Sean and I will get through this. When Sean fell asleep during the evening, I decided for the first time in a while to try driving again i have been walking or using public transport to get from place to place, but I knew that I couldn't avoid driving forever. We had taken Liz's car that night, so I was able to use mine. I went out to the driveway and entered my vehicle. I put the key into the ignition, slowly turning it until I could hear the hum of the engine. Taking a deep breath, I shifted the gear into reverse and backed out of the driveway. Deciding I'd get off to a slow start, I drove through my neighborhood streets at low speed. The car methodically made its way down the road, and I eased up a little. Now he's getting comfortable driving again. Mustering up a little more courage, I turned onto a public road so I could practice driving among other vehicles again. My hands started to tremble, so I gripped the wheel tightly. I turned on my hazard lights. I needed to pace myself and keep my cool, and applied a little more pressure to the accelerator. My body stiffened as the car picked up speed, and I responded by slowing my breathing. Doing so allowed me to loosen my body, and I pressed down on the accelerator even harder. I lowered the windows and felt the wind blow against my face. Horns beeped all around me. The noise of chattering pedestrians and restaurant music was omnipresent. I remember this feeling of driving down the road that night in my car. The way the breeze flowed through my hair and the way the paved roads felt underneath my tire. As I looked into my rearview mirror, I almost thought my eyes were betraying me. I was smiling. Not just a smirk, but a full-on grin. I released my grip on the wheel and simply drove. For miles I traveled, not having a care in the world. Oh, how I had missed this. This liberating feeling coated me in pure bliss. As darkness enveloped the environment, I flicked on my headlights. Peering into the night sky, I saw the millions of stars sparkling above. Momentarily pausing to appreciate the serene view, my attention was drawn to an alternative light source ahead of me. The headlights of another vehicle rapidly approached. I defaulted back to clutching the wheel. Those lights, they flooded my vision just as memories flooded my mind. Remembering to be calm, I once more inhaled a surplus of oxygen, letting it stir in my stomach, before a prolonged exhale exited my nose. For a moment, the light covered my entire vehicle. In a split second, it was over. I observed my rearview mirror once more, watching the car travel down the road behind me. Pulling onto the shoulder, I put the car in park and leaned back into the seat. I let out an audible sigh of relief, followed by a single sentence. I did it. Returning home later that night, I quietly entered my house and went to check on Sean. His door opened with a slight creak, and I made my way over to his bedside. I turned on his lamp only to find the covers of an empty bed pulled to the side. Confused, I exited his room and called out his name, there was no response. The door had been locked when I arrived, so I knew he had to have been in the house. I checked the kitchen and the dining room before making my way to the hallway. The walls were coated in a darkness as black as tar, except for the very end of the hall. There stood the door to my bedroom, the glow of light outlining its perimeter. I approached it, placing my hand on the doorknob and entering the room. There sat my son on my bed. In his arms, sat a picture frame that held the image of Elizabeth standing by Sean. He stared at the image, his face as still as stone. I went over to him, sitting by his side, placing my arm over his shoulder. I noticed dark splotches on the picture frame. Placing my hand under Sean's chin, I lifted his head to face me. Red circles surrounded his watering eyes. Using my thumb to wipe the remaining tears from his cheek, I tried to offer him the best smile I could, but his frown remained. There I sat, at a loss for words, my gaze lowered and focused on the picture in the frame. Placing my hand on his, we sat in silence and viewed the photo together. Eventually, I broke the silence, realizing just how late it was. Hey, buddy, let's head to bed, okay? John gave me a head nod and arose, traversing the corridors of the house to his room. I tucked him in, as per usual, before returning to my bed. I picked up the picture frame and held it in my hand. Elizabeth was as beautiful as ever. For the first time in ages, Viewing her did not cause me distress or pain. Rather, I felt a sense of acceptance. I recalled what I had told Sean about her watching over him with the rest of the angels. Though I had said it to ease his mind, I too had begun to tell myself the same thing. That somewhere out in the universe... My Liz was watching, hoping for the best for me. I glanced at the image of Sean standing by his mother. He had the purest grin on his face, one that could melt my heart 1,000 times over. I knew he did it because I remember taking the photo Yet that was not how he appeared now. In his place stood a different Sean. A Sean without a grin, without the energetic and hopeful eyes. Rather, one with deep gashes and bruises embedded into his flesh. One whose limbs appeared contorted into unnatural positions. In the blink of an eye, his happy demeanor changed into one of shock and terror. Taken aback, I dropped the photo and rushed back into Sean's room. I burst through the door, only to find him peacefully asleep in his bed. He was there, alive, in one piece. I saw him with my own two eyes. Making my way back to my bedroom, I scooped up the picture frame and gazed upon it once more. There he stood, looking perfectly happy and happy. Rubbing my eyes in hopes to clear my vision, I viewed the image again, hoping to confirm that what I saw was real. The photo remained unchanged, still showing Sean as the gleeful little boy I knew him to be. I put the photo away and climbed into bed, pulling the covers over my body sinking my head into my pillow i closed my eyes although it took a few hours i finally drifted into a deep slumber the following day i woke up early entering the kitchen for a glass of water this sounds of footsteps caught my attention they were heading down the hallway which leads to sean's room figuring sean had woken up i followed him down the hallway where i saw his bedroom door ajar. Inside, I found my boy sitting beside the being from my dream all those nights ago. There he was, in his slick gray suit. He appeared as malnourished as ever, his thin frame giving a feeble look. His face remained blurred so much that I could not discern any of his features. I watched as he extended his bony fingers towards my son, laying them atop his head. He brushed Sean's hair with his hand. Neither one of them faced me, and despite the circumstances, I I did not feel fear for my safety or Sean's. I walked toward the creature, attempting to touch it. Mere centimeters before the tips of my finger grazed its figure, my body lunged forward, my forehead drenched in sweat. I observed my surroundings, realizing I had not yet left my bed. I decided to put the picture frame away in my closet for the time being. Nothing freaks me out and after that dream and what I would assume was my hallucination yesterday I, I can't bear to view it. Once again, I'll be sure to keep you all updated on future updates. I cannot express my gratitude enough to you all. Truly. Thank you. A final update. Sean, I need you to speak to me. I must have uttered several variations of that phrase for at least a half an hour. Please, buddy, you can talk to me, okay? I promise you can talk to Papa. No matter how many times I repeated these words to him, he simply wouldn't answer. I desperately needed to know that he could speak. I I needed to know that he was real. The truth is that the constant barrage of delusions had taken a toll on my psyche, distinguishing between what was real and what was merely a figment of my imagination had become difficult. I had to know Sean was real. I wanted to believe he was, and I would know if he was real, if he only would speak. Could he not see the anguish in my eyes? Why wouldn't he just utter a single word? I gripped his shoulders tightly, begging him to even part his lips once. He never obliged my only wish. No amount of bribery or pleading could elicit a response from him. All he did was grab my arm, turn towards his room, and march towards it. As I followed it, an overbearing sense of dread began to brew within me. I felt my heart intensely pounding in my throat as we entered the room together. There, the entity sat. My head hung low as Sean released me from his grasp and trekked towards the being ahead. I, too, approached it once again, attempting to touch the thing. Preparing to suddenly awake from what I had assumed was another nightmare, I placed my hand on the figure. Only, I didn't wake up in my bedroom once again. Instead, it, too, placed its hand on me and we felt each other's papery frames. Slowly but surely, the details of the being's face were revealed to me, and as I looked upon it, I recognized its features, for they were my features too. I stumbled backward, watching as the thing with my appearance leaned towards my son, gently kissing his forehead. I ogled the creature, swallowing the oceans of saliva that had built up in my mouth in a single swift gulp. The creature locked eyes with me, and I locked eyes with it. As this occurred, a sense of familiarity washed over me. My mind darted back and forth, unsure of what to make of the situation. That, in- that is, until my thoughts inexplicably settled on the memory of the accident on that fateful night. I recalled the blinding lights, the shrill cries of fear and suffering. No, there was more. The overhead traffic light, from which a soft red hue shone in the night sky. My vehicle had passed underneath the light, and then the impact happened. The doctors, had they truly told me my son had survived? They say that there are some moments in our life that we'll remember for an eternity. There was a quote that I wrote back towards the beginning of this text. So then, why couldn't I recall the words of the doctor who told me that Sean was still alive? Could I have truly forgotten? I snap back to reality. Keeping eye contact with the being before me, I know Sean was nowhere to be found. The sense of familiarity I felt soon dissipated and was replaced with boiling hatred. I glared at the monster, my palms balling up. I rushed towards it, tackling it to the ground. Before it could react, I began pummeling it with my fists. You're the reason Elizabeth is gone. You're the reason Sean is gone. I'm gonna kill you! I exclaimed, gritting my teeth and continuing my assault on the being. It showed no resistance. It simply allowed me to keep striking it. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I had no plans in stopping. Blood flowed from the thing's face onto my fists With every strike I could feel my body breaking With every blow I could sense the light within me Beginning to extinguish Yet I had no Plans on stopping I was gonna kill this man For taking What I held dearest to me At that point I couldn't even see the thing. Tears had clouded my eyes, blurring my sight. I simply pounded my fists downward, hoping to murder the figures in my fit of rage. I felt a soft tugging on my beige shirt. It was gentle, yet enough to pause my assault. A tiny hand gripped the polyester fabric. My arms fell to my sides, and I turned my head, and there he was. My boy stood by my side. I froze, my eyes widening like saucers as I witnessed his lips parting for the very first time. I forgive you, Papa. He smiled at me and embraced me once more. I embraced him too, feeling the stream of tears begin to erupt from my eyes. Not wishing to get my tears on his shoulder, I closed my eyes. I soon found that a second pair of arms had wrapped around me, the smooth surface of a ring pressed against my skin. I didn't let go for what felt like hours, but I knew I couldn't hold on forever. As I opened my eyes, I found myself alone with the figure in what was once Sean's room. I stood up and approached him once more. In one swift motion, I hugged the thing, pulling it close against me. When I let go, the thing vanished from my view. It was over. I know Sean and Elizabeth and the Angels are looking from somewhere out there, wishing the best for me. I know they would want me to forgive myself. Though doing so isn't going to be easy, I I think I'll manage to do it. I fetched the picture frame from the closet and placed it back on my bedside. There stood Sean and Liz standing beside each other with grins on their faces. In the reflection of the frame, I could see my face beside theirs. I smiled with them for one final time. They may not be here with me on this earth, but I know that they're with me in my heart and mind. Thank you all for reading my account. I think I'm going to be okay from this point forward. Don't expect any more updates from me. I have the feeling that I should move on. It was a pleasure writing to you all.
2: I hope you enjoyed Car Crash, as written by Icy Dice and as performed by the incomparable Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talent and Evil Idol 2016 champion, Nick Goroff. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Knights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you check him out, be sure to give his performances a thumbs up, leave a kind word, and tell him you heard him here on this program and that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to me now our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close but before we go i'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our itunes page and leave chilling tales for dark nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram if you haven't already and of course subscribe to us on youtube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling tales for dark nights.